and welcome to the One Degree Shift podcast. I'm your host, Eric Termundi, and I'm excited to introduce you to the wonderful guests I've got on season two and the little things they're doing to create a more intentional future for themselves, for their teams, and for the communities around them. I hope you enjoy. Todd Hirsch, thank you so much for joining the One Degree Shift podcast. How are you today? I'm doing very well, Eric. How are you doing? I'm doing, I'm doing awesome and, and that much better as of about two minutes ago when we picked up the metaphorical phone here and, and started to have our conversation. A lot of us are going to know Todd. My, my experience with Todd started a few years ago when we shared a stage together um, back in Calgary. Oh, how I long for those days of stages <laughs> and we can get back together again. I but, miss him so much. Right? <laughs> oh my goodness. Um, but you blew me away with, with your presentation. But truthfully, I've been a fan of yours for years and years now. So without letting any of the surprises out of the bag, uh, why don't we hear from, from you a little bit about, about yourself, what you're up to. And what I'd like to end is with is you know, what you're most excited about right now. Sure. Well, uh, I guess just a little bit of the CV kind of stuff. Sure. I'm the chief economist uh, at ATB Financial. Uh, I'm based here in Calgary. ATB Financial is uh, across Alberta, providing banking services and financial services. Uh, and I'm an economist by training, but I always have to say, you know, I've, I've spent the last almost 30 years as an economist, and I feel like I'm going to spend the next 30 years unlearning a lot of the stuff that I thought I believed mm. as an because the world has become a much more complicated place than when I walked across the stage as a young econ graduate. And uh, I think we have a lot to learn and a lot to unlearn about economics. So that's kind of what, you know, and I'm interested in the economy, but obviously I'm, I'm interested in bigger picture questions, mm-hmm. things like what we're going to get into, the future sure. of work. Uh, Things like creativity and innovation as a driver in the economy, things about uh, around diversifying our economy, all those really great high level, big idea topics. Very cool. Well, thank you for your time today. And I'm excited to, to dive in. So let's do just that. If I, you know, and I've been thinking about this interview specifically for, for a while, because I want to take this way up into the stratosphere and, and, and get your general take on, uh, on work in the future. So maybe I'll start by asking you this if I were to say the future is, how would you complete that sentence? The future is fluid and flexible and adaptable. And I think those are the words we're all going to have to think about rather than rigid and prescribed and mm-hmm. set stone. So what does that mean then in a, in, a, in a work sense? Or if you don't want to take it in the work direction, what does fluid, flexible, agile, what does that lack of rigidity really mean? Well, I guess in the work sense, you know, we we can think about a generation ago or maybe two generations ago, uh, people would have gone to college or a university or a a technical, you know, polytechnic, and they would have come out with, you know, a skill set. And the idea is you apply that skill set for the next 40 years of your life and you retire with a gold watch and, and, and a cake and a party, you know. It was all quite straightforward, not a lot of flexibility. And then, you know, around the 70s, 80s, that model started to fall apart a bit. People got 25 years into a career and then got a tap on the shoulder and were in a free fall because their career was very rigid. Mm -hmm. They didn't have the ability to pivot into something new. 
Mm -hmm. Fast forward now to 2020 and looking into the future, more than ever, things are fluid. In other words, what you come out of your education, your post-secondary education with, is very unlikely to be what you're going to be doing in five or 10 or certainly in 50 years sure. when you, you know, stop working. So it's, it's fluid and adaptable. Okay, then I'm a person who just hypothetically graduated from the University of Calgary or the University of Toronto or SAIT or BCIT. I'm thinking, Todd, I just spent thousands and thousands of dollars on, on my degree, on my training. What does that mean for me? Yeah, well, and it's a good question. And, and first of all, I want to say that, you know, this fluidity and this adaptability, it certainly doesn't take away the importance of getting some post-secondary education. Mm -hmm. uh, it's just we can't be too rigid in saying, well, I've, I've studied to become this, right. and now that's, that's what I have to be. The idea is that is going to be a, a, a zigzag line going forward. So yeah. it's okay to come out of college or university or polytechnic with your de degree or your diploma in, in that field, but mm -hmm. understand that is going to be shifting on you. It's not mm -hmm. going to be a waste of time or money at all getting that, but more so than, this, than what you're learning, it's the skills around adaptability that you need coming out of those post-secondary institutions. Okay, then how do I become more adaptable? Maybe perhaps using the theme of the podcast, the one degree shift, how do I make one degree shifts in my life to be able to better be prepared for the future? I do believe some people are naturally more adaptable than others. However, I think it's also something like creativity. I think it's something that we're all capable of learning how sure. to do. Mm -hmm. um, how you become adaptable, I think you practice it. So, um, you put yourself in situations perhaps that you're not comfortable with. And I don't mean dangerous situations, mm -hmm. but I mean, you know, use the art and culture around you. Uh, if you love opera, you might want to go to a rock concert. Right. If you love rodeo, you might want to go to a ballet. Not to say you have to love it, but put yourself out there. Expose your your brain and your gray matter to something it's not used to seeing mm -hmm. that will help you become more adaptable and flexible as you're seeing the world in different ways. Very cool. So let's then zoom all the way out again and look at the economic implications of something like this. I mean, you're talking education systems need to shift. You're talking um, perhaps how, how we govern needs to shift. What, what do you see this, this fluidity, this, this agile, this flexible practice? How, how do you see that impacting the economy at a higher level? Well, yeah, this is this is really is the big question. I think for many, many workers and for the companies they work for, uh, they will embrace this adaptability, this fluidity, and they're, they're going to do really well. Mm -hmm. But I do worry about in the economy, I worry about some of those workers, uh, perhaps who don't have those adaptability traits built in yet. Mm -hmm. And I worry about, you know, how everyone talks about, is this going to be an L-shaped recovery or, right. you know, uh, uh, I've heard people starting to talk about, in the labor market anyway, a K-shaped recovery. And I think you can sort of visualize what that means. In other words, as we move through COVID and eventually a post-COVID world, there's going to be many workers who do very, very well because they've got the adaptability traits, sure. flexible and fluid. But I do worry about that segment of the workforce that maybe is not as flexible, stuck in jobs that maybe, you know, don't offer a lot of future. Uh, and then you see that sort of downside of the K. And then we start to see this, even greater cleavage within our economy among the workers, those right. who are succeeding and those who are not. 
And I worry about that a little bit. Now I'm seeing rough correlation between education level and sophistication of the job and sort of which arm of that K um, we're sort of looking at. How do you see, you know, the implication of, of, of lockdowns and things accelerating the downside of the K or, or the upside? And, and what might we be able to do? What might we be able to do to get things not just back to where they were, because I think we can both agree we'll never be going back to where we were, but how can we get things to where we could be, assuming things started to go a little bit better, both in terms of spread, et cetera? Yeah, those are really the daunting questions, Mm -hmm. I guess, of of our time. How do we navigate our way through this so we don't end up with kind of a worst case scenario with 20% of the workforce incapable of, you know, finding work because Mm -hmm. they... Uh, they might have low skill sets or they might be very, very rigid in, in what they're able to do yeah. with that uh, flexibility and adaptability. Um, what we can do about it, I guess, you, you know, when we think about our, our post-secondary institutions, we might start to question, you know, is, is this the end of the four-year degree Mm-hmm. Uh, or a very prescribed, you know, a three-year program or something like that. And I don't want to suggest the end of university because of I'm a big fan of universal education. Right. But this idea that we, we go to university, we get a four-year degree, it sort of implies that after four years, your learning is done. You're done, yeah. <laughs> You've pumped your brain full of all the information and knowledge uh, we know, and, and now off you go. And you think about that four-year degree, this goes back, I don't know, 100 years or probably, sure. probably more, probably yeah. 200 years. Uh, I think we need a, an education system, and I do see this happening, by the mm-hmm. way, but mm-hmm. an education model for the 21st century that will help us become more flexible and adaptable. And giving some of those people with, you know, low skill sets might be a really, it might be insurmountable for them to say, well, I'm going to engage in a four-year university degree. That is Mm -hmm. a huge time and financial commitment. One, they're probably not able to, uh, or they may not be able to undertake. But if we could dispense university education or, or college education in smaller bites that are, you know, people more, more capable of, of taking that on and using that then to become more flexible and adaptable. Very interesting. And for those who are listening in as a bit of a teaser and a preview, I've got Jim DeWald from the University of Calgary coming in on the podcast this year. I've also got uh, president of VCIT, Kathy Kinlock, uh, later in on the season as well. So I'm excited to hear their take on the future of education. But you said something that uh, that I thought was, was interesting. And if I'm chief, ta- speaking with the chief economist, I, I, I better ask him what his thoughts on, on, on universal basic income and sort of an evolution of, of CERB. What, you know, what do you see the future of, you know, and, and maybe just your, your words as to what UBI is for the listener, right. if they're not familiar, and, and what that might look like in the coming years. And perhaps even if you could look at your crystal ball, a timeline of something like that happening too. Yeah, well, the best, actually, I just came across this metaphor today on, on Twitter. Someone described a universal basic income, and I think it's a good description. We all remember playing the game Monopoly. Mm-hmm. Every time you pass go, everybody gets 200 bucks. It doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter if you're winning the game or if you're barely hanging on. But what that is intended to do in the game is to keep people in the game longer. 
you really right. have to have some bad luck without, you know, that $200 keeping you going. Yeah. So universal basic income, it is kind of that same principle, kind of right. like the CERB. Everyone, you know, who applies for it, uh, well, the CERB wasn't quite that way, but it's not means tested. So sure. we're not going to spend a lot of time and effort in bureaucracies of government trying to decide who's worthy and who isn't. Mm-hmm. Everyone gets it. Uh, we can claw it back at a certain income level for people who don't need it. I'm attracted to the idea on one level, and that is uh, that it isn't means tested. Uh, I do think we spend an awful lot of energy trying to uh, figure out who's worthy and who's not. There are lots of hands that would go up saying, well, what about, you know, people who are going to abuse the system? And, and what about people that, you know, they drop out of work, they just become lazy because of this. To that, I say, you know, if you're a lazy person, you're going to be lazy under any circumstances. I'm not willing to believe that a universal basic income is going to encourage more laziness. Fundamentally, I do think people want to contribute. I think they want to be involved in things. I think they want to find purpose and meaning. It may not necessarily be in traditional work. It might be in community volunteerism, might be in all of those other things that actually the market is not really good at filling those those roles. So I'm I'm interested in the idea. I I just think that, you know, if it's not going to be UBI, well, let's then talk about some other alternatives, because what we've been doing for the last 80 years in this country, in terms of social income support, you know, it's a patchwork of all kinds of different programs at all levels of government. And I think we can do better. Um, a UBI, I think it's worth investigating and talking about and, mm-hmm. and debating. But if it's not a UBI, let's talk about then what it's going to be. And as perhaps a, a final topic that, that, that I can ask you today, if it's not UBI, what have you heard through your networks, your experience, your understanding that might be a better alternative? And if it's not even UBI specifically, what excites you in terms of models and frameworks that we might be able to test and then apply down the road? Yeah, um, you know, UBI right now, the universal basic income or guaranteed mm-hmm basic income. That Mm -hmm. is the one that is kind of being talked about. Uh, It's either that or people saying, no, we're not doing that. To be honest, I haven't really been involved in a lot of conversations where there are a lot of other exciting alternatives being floated. It doesn't mean they're not out there. I just don't know about them. It seems to be that those wanting change in the system are gravitating towards this idea of UBI. And then the people who don't like a UBI are putting up all kinds of reasons why they don't like Mm -hmm. it. So I don't know. Uh, it, it's a good question. You might have to have another uh, a guest on this show <laughs> in that social income uh, support uh, world to talk about what other alternatives do exist. Mm-hmm. Are you optimistic about the future, short, medium, long term? Yeah, I'm always optimistic. It's sort of a personality flaw in me. I am <laughs> sunshine. My friends say it's annoying sometimes that I'm that optimistic. So I have to remain optimistic, but I do say that, you know, again, COVID is accelerating a lot of these trends. They were already starting trends around the future of work and more flexibility and adaptability. COVID is, has thrown us further up that curve faster than we, than we thought we were going. Why I'm optimistic is because I believe humans and the economy I think it's actually more flexible than we think it is. Mm. The trick is we just can't try to get back to where we used to be. 
Right. We have to embrace the idea that things are going to be different. Mm -hmm. And as long as we're willing to embrace the new, I think we're more adaptable than we give ourselves credit for. Yeah, I agree with you. Final, final question then. If we put personality flaws aside and we assumed that you weren't optimistic about the future, what might you be worried about? What would be top of mind? Well, even though I am optimistic, there are things that I do worry about. I do worry about the growing gap in income and uh, opportunity. Sure. More so, I mean, you see this more in other countries like our mm -hmm. neighbors to the south, uh, but we're seeing it here in Canada too. And we talked about that K-shaped recession or the recovery. Right. Yeah. I do, I am concerned about what the world looks like in 10 years where those who have opportunities, educational opportunities or financial or, or job opportunities are doing really, really well. But then a whole mass of people are doing very, very poorly. Right. I worry about that for a lot of reasons, but I think, you know, our democracy, it kind of depends on everyone doing reasonably well and having some hope of succeeding. And once that is gone, I worry about the, you know, the cracks in our social structures. Fantastic, Todd. Is there anything else you want to share with us today? Well, the only other thing I always like to share is that, you know, COVID, it, it has been such an extraordinarily difficult time uh, for so many people. And I can't even say it's been the hardest on me. Uh, lots of other people have had it far worse than I've had it. I, I haven't uh, lost my job and I haven't experienced the physical parts of it. But I guess I would always encourage all of us to rely on community. We got to depend on each other more than ever. And that might be funny for an economist to be talking about that. But I do think community uh, is the third leg of the stool with the free market being one leg, our state structures and our governments being one leg and community, how we depend on each other. They all three have very different roles, but for the stool to be stable, uh, I think in the coming years, we're going to have to rely on each other on our sense of community more than ever. Fantastic. And speaking of community and a community that you're developing, you've, uh, I would say not so recently now, but launched a podcast as well. Uh, where can people listen to your podcast? Well, my podcast is called The Future Of. They can, people can subscribe wherever they, uh, they get their podcasts on whatever app. Or if you go to atb.com slash the future of, you can listen there. But it's available on, on any podcast app. Fantastic. Todd, always grateful for your time. Uh, thank you so much for everything you've shared with us today. Thank you very much for having me, Eric. Have a good day. Take care.